Hello, everyone, and welcome to After Hours. I am Quinn, your MC for this debrief, this this Q&A, this reflection on season one of Monster Hour. Yay! Joining me today are Hannah. Hi, I'm Hannah, and I played J.R. the Crooked. Tio. Well, hello, hi, and I can't think of another one, so I'm going to go with, hey, uh, this is Tio, and I played Constance the Expert. And Kyle. Howdy, I'm Kyle. I played Alvin Hughes the Monstrous. So we're going to be doing a Q&A for this After Hours. We've got quite a, a good number of questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted uh, your questions for this. We will try to get through as many as we can. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all of them, but we'll try to get to at least one for everyone who submitted one. I've grouped things into general categories, sort of about the story, about the characters, about the production, and about the future. And, you know, we'll we'll hit some, we'll do some uh, rapid fire, and yeah, we'll, I don't know, we'll just see see where things land. Uh, before we get started on questions, I did just want to make a note. This is this is Hannah. Um, in one of the episodes in season one, towards the end, I used the term "going on walkabout," and I've I've done a little bit of research, and it is a term that may be appropriative. I do not have any Aboriginal background or First Nation background. I was born and grew up here in the United States. I don't think it's a term that's for me to use. I was not using it in a pejorative sense, but I don't know that that really matters when that is not a term that I should probably be using. So uh, just be aware of that. I am sorry that I used that, and I will not use that term again. Thank you, Hannah. Anyone else have anything before we jump in? Any questions before our question and answer? Any questions about the question and answer? Should we question whether we're questioning the question and answer? Whoa. Don't worry, I'll do that every single time. <laughs> yes, I, I have a question. Yes. Why? And how? To provide listeners with closure, you know, like six months later. <laughs> if you haven't gotten it yet, we gave you a grace period to find it on your own. And this is us coming back to help you if you're still lost. It's okay if you are. Yes. We're here for you. Let's get started with a little warm up question. Uh, this is yeah. from Andrew. As a refresher, what are the different flavors of normal Starburst candy? Andrew. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Can I call you Andrew? Thank you for this question. <laughs> Thank you so much for this question, because what I have in front of me is the official history of Starburst flavors from Starburst <laughs> HQ itself. So to set the record straight, let me say in the United States, the original Starburst flavors were in the past lime, lemon, orange and strawberry. However, Lime was changed to cherry. Now, everyone in Europe, calm down because you had an entirely different experience. Because when you had the original flavors, lime, lemon, orange, and strawberry, they decided that lime and lemon needed to become one. And you got lemon and lime as a flavor to make room for black current. And here's where I'm going to give a question to my European audience. How do you feel about being shortchanged on the lemon front? Lime and lemon are very different flavors. And the idea that you're combining them into one seems like a cheapening of the experience to me. So I would love to hear back from our listeners in Europe about this. And now I will very quickly point out one or two 
maybe like five of the other flavors <laughs> that currently exist in random assortments of Starbursts that I did not know were a thing. Pina colada. Ooh. I've had that one. Mango melon. Not had that one. Blue raspberry rush, which is not to be confused rush. with blue raspberry, which is a different flavor. I don't know what the difference there is. Strawberry banana, which actually sounds pretty great. Green apple, which also sounds pretty great. And then things got a little weird. Mixed berries and cream. Peaches and cream. Strawberry and cream. Oh, How many versions of cream creamy. do you need? I'm just... It's baffling when I've looked at this long list. I could also post more and I just will in the Discord because there is a <laughs> wild entire category of tropical starbursts that mm -hmm. seem like they're meant to be alcoholic drinks. And I don't know what that's trying to say because the Starburst website does make you enter your age to visit it. <laughs> now I'm looking over your shoulder here and I believe you skipped over when they were first introduced in the United States. They were called M&M's Fruit Chewies? Yes, that's also no, true. Like the, like the red the and real green M&M. Like the, like the yes. anthropomorphic M&M's were like Check these out. They were also <laughs> called opal fruits originally, which I'm glad. I'm glad that we changed that name. That's fun. Mm, let I me go get a, a bag question. of opal fruits. Tio, do they have a lime flavor? Because like lime flavor candy is really good. I like lime. I use lime in, in cooking a lot. Do they have a lime starburst? Well, in the US, the lime became cherry, but in Europe, no, no, no. Just... But did they bring it back? Did they bring back oh, lime? Yes, they brought it back for a short amount of time as a <laughs> retro flavor. But I do not have it currently listed as an actual flavor. Just the lemon and lime. Mm -hmm. It's wild well, that they have they yeah. have gone through three different variations of creams, but no lime has come back for a long period of time. Retro Starburst, package. I am suffering. <laughs> yes. Bring back lime. And why do you make people put their age on your... Anyway, sorry. That's just a very strange thing to me. Uh, let's keep it going on. Great start. We're off to a great start. Keeping it tight. Let's keep it... Oh, we're not going to keep it tight. We're definitely <laughs> no, not. this is jazz, Hannah. This is our this jazz, is jazz Oh, sorry. This is sorry. Jazz. All right. Continue. Uh, let's, let's pull at that thread a little bit more, though. What is each character's favorite snack? Uh, and the questioner here is Beth, and they have extended this for me to Pax. Mm. Ooh. Well, I've... <sighs> feel like canonically i suppose tillamook cheddar is a pretty it feels to me like it has to be your favorite snack if you're gonna go all in on an entire brick mm, just like double yeah. fisting bricks of tillamook cheddar but i feel like alvin also enjoys a good like just like bag of loose snap peas <laughs> what the fuck what the fuck <laughs> not well, not like at the well maybe at the same time <laughs> I mean, that does sound like the start of a very interesting charcuterie board. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, he stops there and there's no board. Oh, okay. So it's cheese and peas. <laughs> a brick of cheese. Cheese and peas. Cheese and peas. Mind your cheese and peas. That's that's his food blog, cheese oh, and peas. Oh, boy. Yeah. Except that's it. It's just cheese and peas. It's got, it has two, three articles, one about yep. cheese, one about peas, and the other a couple months later, having the discovery of both at the same time. It's yeah. actually a Tumblr and it's just pictures of cheese and peas <laughs> staged. Yep. Yeah. Once yep. you've perfected the art, there's no reason <laughs> to keep going. True. Uh, I think... Uh... For Jr., I talked about it enough as a character that like a good a good jerky, a good beef jerky, and I will tell you when I was still eating meat regularly, 
My favorite jerky was the Aboyoberto thin sliced beef jerky. And you cannot find it anywhere anymore. I do not know why. It was like I, oh man, I love that stuff. I ate it by the fistful. And so I think JR appreciates having a, a nice protein in a small container. And then I think uh, to mix that up, her favorite sweet candy would be Sprees. And those are the original Sprees, not the chewy ones. Mm. The original ones are a little harder mm-hmm. to find. Um, the chewy ones seem to have cornered the market. Mm-hmm. I think Pax's favorite snack are Tic Tacs. Mm-hmm. I can't explain why, and I won't it's be not, taking questions. It's not a snack. Classic. It's not a, no. Can I? It's not uh, a snack. It's, it's not Pax a snack. snack. So I know that you're not interacting with the audience uh, on that one, Quinn, as is your right. As an audience (laughs) member of that choice, I'm going to go ahead and kind of assume that this is my own headcanon, is that it's Tic Tacs because those are easy for a stakeout. You just like can keep shoveling them down Mm -hmm. the old pie hole while you wait. I guess beef jerky is good for that, too, which also makes sense. You're in a car. You're in a car. As long as you're not in there having like a charcuterie board. And even then... (laughs) You know, just packs at a stakeout with like a big platter of cheese and peas. <laughs> I go, well, I'm already taking up the whole back seat, I think. But Tic Tacs are on the go. You can be like rifling through mm-hmm. someone's apartment and still snack. Oh, yeah. You know? And I can totally picture the, the noir scene of like a dark figure on the corner of an alleyway and you hear like, yeah, yep. Tossing Tic Tacs back. That's absolutely what it is for sure. Um, okay, I also will be taking, I will be giving no uh, further information on this answer. Um, 30 to 40 olives. <laughs> oh, okay. What, that's what kind not a of brand, olives? right? That's the count of no, olives? No, no, no. That's the number, the of, number olives. of olives. The number of olives. Great, yes. great, great. Uh, Kalamata. Kalamata. Yeah. yeah, good choice. Good choice. Yeah. 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 Or uh, stuffed. <laughs> I could also do a stuffed olive. Wait as a well. minute. You, hey, you don't have to answer that that's question. That's right. I don't have to answer that question. <laughs> she doesn't have to answer you. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get also, into it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, just looping back around. Uh, now own cheeseandpeas.com. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What you please put something? Now the proud owner of cheeseandpeas.com. Oh my god! All right, listeners, go to cheeseandpeas.com. <laughs> this is the album. Well, I don't know. What, no, I don't know what you're going to find there, but you should definitely go there. <laughs> I guess I haven't put something there now, huh? Yeah, you, you do. do. Yeah, all right. You can't buy a domain, say it on air, and then yeah. not do anything. <laughs> Hold on, just, uh, editor, you can edit this out. Are you lost, sir? Are you lost? <laughs> are you lost? Do you know where you are? I'm not going to edit this out. Do you know where you are? <laughs> Listeners, I, this I, happens I, once an episode, at minimum. Once? <laughs> at minimum, I, at minimum. I read online that sometimes like animals get dementia and they don't know where they are, which yeah. like this is an apartment. Uh, and I also don't know how he'd tell me or he'd understand because he's stone cold deaf. But like, really, why are we screaming? What are we? <laughs> <laughs> Ask the next question. Keep next going. question. All right. <laughs> We're going to get into the We're going to get into the meat of it here. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. For everyone, what was your favorite mystery slash monster? Ooh. Ooh, yeah, I really like the Ur Spider. It's really spooky. They were all really scary. Quinn, good job. Oh, thank you. But the Ur Spider, I think, was a a great arc of 
trying to figure out a plan, missing some very big clues, coming up with a plan we were 100% <laughs> confident in, and having that plan fall apart immediately. Mm-hmm. And still managing And repeatedly. Um, but still kind of managing to to pull it out at the end. I think it was a really exciting arc. I really like the consensus, partially because like I think the end scene on that one, I, I also really like the Earth Spider, but the end scene on that one was, you know, first of all, uh, mm-hmm. listeners, we got to go to the mine. Quinn Ugh. wouldn't let us go into the mine <laughs> in the first series. And I assumed he was going to hold out on us for the rest of the season <laughs> until one of us was like, I don't care what's going on here. I'm going to go check out the mine. But he let us go into the mine, the haunted mine. We were hoping there were ghosts down there. There were not, but we got to have like, you know, our Indiana Jones Temple of Doom riding in a <laughs> minecart scene, it, you know, possessed people outside, like creepily yelling into the mine, which is just mm-hmm. like, oh man, as a horror movie trope is just top tier. And then, you know, a, dry, a giant spooky mushroom that tried to enchant all of us at some point. Mm-hmm. So as far as kind of like adventure and swashbuckling, I think that probably was my favorite. Although, you know, none of them disappointed. There wasn't like a least favorite, but mm-hmm. that would be my favorite. Oh, boy. Um, hmm. I can go to you if you want. Yes. Why don't you go first and <laughs> then I'll figure it out. So I'm going to split here. I think that my favorite mystery was the consensus or that arc, arc Mm -hmm. two, a growing consensus, I think I called it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think my favorite monster, as will probably come as uh, no surprise, was (laughs) the tall man, a.k.a. Dorian from arc four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That was such a fun arc and such a fun villain turned sort of ally uh, towards the end. But introducing Dorian and having him like, (laughs) <laughs> worm his way in and become this like hated. very annoying character who was revealed to be like much more Machiavellian was mm-hmm. a real real fun for me as the keeper. Just reveals upon reveals with that one. Yes. So now I feel like I should have gone before you, Quinn, because I was ruminating on Dorian being mm-hmm. it for me, and now it's going to sound like I'm just piggybacking off of you. But I'll I'll give it a different spin because as someone playing mm-hmm. amongst Dorian. Um, (laughs) It was very fun because it was such like a personal and interpersonal connection monster Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, you know, touched Mm -hmm. different parts of our lives in in town. And that to me felt like it gave us the opportunity to explore how our characters would react to not just another big bad, but a big bad that created emotional instability among yes. members of the team, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, and how we how we deal with that. Right. Because that's a that's again, it's personal. It's very different from just like, well, we tend to take everything personally uh, as our characters. Uh, we seem to be uh, <laughs> we take it personally when there's any monster in our midst. But this one was specifically with Alvin, but also for the other people in town. So I, I liked the opportunity to kind of see like how we would react to something like that. And I, I was pleasantly surprised with how we dealt with it. Also, I'm just really proud of us for immediately deciding off the bat that we don't like him and sticking <laughs> yeah. to that consistently enough that it becomes canon that he is not likable, at least for a good chunk of the series. It's like a dog who just had a sense. Yeah. That question was from the Crew at the Monsters Playbook, uh, which is another awesome Monster of the Week actual play. 
I'm going to jump really quickly to answer part of a question from Steven, who was interested in knowing what would have happened in A Perfect Circle if the gang hadn't stopped the Hollow Circus through their deal with Dorian. Mm -hmm. Can't say for sure. The end of that countdown was something along the lines of Dorian basically takes over the whole town and uses it as his own sort of personal play area. Fun. Hmm. So something along those lines, Steven. Bad news. Yeah, not so good. Yeah. Uh, This question is from Mel, and they want to know who was everyone's favorite NPC? Hmm. Well, I can go go first, and it may sound a little like a cop-out, because it's one that I kind of had a little input into early on in designing characters, but I freaking love Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah's pretty great. Sarah is, is rad. And it was so cool to like discuss kind of the seeds of possible family f- at the beginning with Quinn and then getting the reveal of Sarah arriving and then being able to kind of like play off of that NPC. And as that character developed sort of a little parallel to Alvin's character, uh, it was really fulfilling. I realized when I said Sarah's great, that sounded pretty self-aggrandizing. I just think Sarah's cool. <laughs> hey, all these characters are great. <laughs> They're all so great. Listen, Quinn, <laughs> this this question is going to be all compliments for you. <laughs> it's all yeah, compliments that's to true. Quinn. All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Stoney, um, I mm-hmm. had a really good time with that character. I definitely imagined more of just the like, I am just going to shamelessly flirt with this person who is unavailable mm-hmm. and both of us know it that's okay and that didn't e- the the evolution of that relationship changed obviously as kind of the mystery unfolded and it turned out that stony was you know involved in things what? and i know that there was a lot more um my god he is just <laughs> they know they recognize it they know the it's jazz yeah they know, yeah, they know it's right. jazz playing along me 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 let me contribute um is that i know that there were a lot of things that it took us kind of a while to uncover the the layers like an onion of of stony and then also his story is left very unfinished and i think that's narratively interesting you know where did he go where is he off to what happened Mm -hmm. with his wife so I really liked having that character as like sort of the unattainable romantic interest that evolved into something more complex. Okay. It's my turn. I don't I I haven't yet figured out my transitional energy <laughs> when we're going from person to person, so it's going to change per question. It's just going to be a weird vibe. Anyway, I I mean, I I don't think it's going to be a surprise that I'm going with Georgiana. Mm. Like that's just obvious yeah. <laughs> for me. Uh, I thought that was I it was such a fun addition to this family unit and it also like the way that she evolved over time, I thought was was really interesting, but maintained some of her kind of funny fish out of waterness, mm-hmm. even even as she adapted to the world around her. I thought that she was she she was just a very great character on her own, and I would have loved to kind of hear about her adventures more. Right, like that that to me is a a sign of a really well built NPC. Yes, mm-hmm. Quinn, I'm giving you all the praise. Um, <laughs> Where it feels like they have a life of their own outside of what happens when they're interacting totally. with us. So yeah. that yeah. was great. 
my close second because I'm gonna break the rules of the question Ooh, is yeah, Mr. Blue for similar reasons. I just <laughs> so funny and the his relationship with everyone and how it shifts. I think again is one of those things that can only happen when you have a really well built NPC. Otherwise, it feels contrived, and I don't think it felt contrived for Mr. Blue. I think it felt very natural. So you know, last season of Game of Thrones can learn mm-hmm. something from that. Uh, I have to tell you, Tio, you you basically willed the relationship between Mr. Mm-hmm. Blue and Georgiana into existence. <laughs> like, yes! absolutely not planned. And, and you took that, like, one-off <laughs> joke and just, like, made it happen. <laughs> yes. I will also just say, I really, really like Pax as a character. I, yeah. I don't want <laughs> our fan base to be like, oh, she, she doesn't like Pax at all. That's not true. That's not true. Quinn has done a very good job fleshing out and creating really interesting NPCs. All right, Kyle, you want your second? Yeah, I'll do my second. (laughs) Lightning round, a couple more. Uh, Leon, of course, it's Quinn's self-insert, and he's really cool and adorable. And uh, Stan is awesome. I freaking love Stan. Stan is great. Oh, God, Stan. Stan. Oh, man. Um, This is really hard for me to answer because there's so I mean, like Stan was so much fun. Obviously, I love playing Leon. Pax, fantastic. Dorian, I think my favorite was probably Stoney. Mm -hmm. And it really is because of like the different different directions he was pulled in and the different parts of his nature. And just like the way those played out in the story, it was so much fun from being the Mm -hmm. player in that sense. And uh, that was just really cool with Stoney. Yeah. Also, Austin was Stoney. Yes. Is it, which yes. is cool. He did a and very Austin did good a job. killer job. <laughs> he did such a good Let's, job. You know, can we take a moment to shout out the folks who did our NPC backstory, our Monster yeah. Hour Origins episodes? Yeah. Uh, Austin, yeah, Susanna, Cap, and Reed. You all did a fantastic job. Thank you so much for helping to add like just a little bit of extra like flavor to all of these characters. Like y'all killed it. Absolutely. And if you haven't listened to those, most of them are out now uh, on the regular feed, but you can check them out on our Patreon as well. Go mm-hmm. check out the Patreon. Good plug. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Um, what was everyone's most tense moment from this season? So I'm assuming that everybody who's listened to this has listened to the whole episode through. Or yeah, the whole so. season through. Uh, <laughs> Quinn, I need you to make get- a... Yeah, spoiler, spoiler alert. You need to make a bleeped <laughs> spoiler-free version of the end of season Q&A. Yes. I'm not going to do that. Oh. This we, is your warning. We all knew that at some point Constance was going to was going to die. We just weren't sure when. And so I think playing that last episode, I mean, first of all, there were a lot of just like high emotions of this being like the last episode of our our season um and not knowing when that was going to happen. Um Ha- you know, having an idea of like, okay, it's been like we're about halfway through the episode. It's probably going to happen soon. That was really tense. That was a really challenging episode to play, knowing that that was going to happen. I'll kind of piggyback on that. Not so much about being intense, but how kind of thrilling that made playing the final episode. Because, you know, there are some games where the GM is will like pull punches or hold things back for fear of TPK or like killing everybody. But because it had been communicated and we knew that it was it was okay for Constance to die like that, like Quinn threw a a lot out and Constance made it through a lot of it. And but like the skin of her teeth and like with daring heroics and and great dice rolls. And so it it just kind of heightened the the thrill of the gameplay as well. So as 
Constance. Uh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Again, I'm figuring out my intro energy. All right. I um I think it was slightly different for me in that like. I could kind of feel out when I was going to what opportunities Quinn would throw my way and how I would respond to that. So for me, that wasn't tense. It was just fun. Yeah. But I think what was tense, the like the tensest moment might have actually been off air kind of. And it was in the last arc where the studio is destroyed. And Mm -hmm. it's very possible that a good chunk of uh, our friends are dead or about to die. And it is revealed that, you know, my my mother was had a hand in that. Yeah. And we kind of ended the episode. And Quinn, you we had stopped recording. And you're like, I just want to ask, is Constance going to kill her mom? Like, do you want to kill your mom? I think you asked me something like that. And I don't remember if my answer was like, I don't know or yes in the moment, but I was so actually angry at this NPC that you had created. I was just genuinely like, this person has jeopardized so many lives and for such selfish reasons and so kind of like self-centered in how they think the world should be. And my fury in that like really did create this tension uh, for me from the end of that episode until our next recording, where I was trying to figure out like, am I literally going to murder my mom mm-hmm. in this show? And is that the right move for Constance or not? So that was very, very tense for me. I'm happy with the way it worked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I, you know, I think Quinn, you really brought it home that it was like something that was creeping in and I I needed to decide kind of mm-hmm. if I was going to take it there or not. So that was yeah. very tense for me. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if you wanted to kill your mom so you <laughs> might have a chance to or not. <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, I had a lot of anxiety about the finale, the last two episodes, really, because I really, I really wanted to do it right. And, and mm-hmm. you know, because in the fiction, there was also like, there were a number of tense moments, you know, there were standoffs between friends and family, there was the conflict with Augie, there was all of the in fiction tension, but I was also like feeling just, I, I just really wanted to sort of land it. And so for me, the whole like, final, when we were recording it, it was probably like the final six hours of, of audio was mm-hmm. all tense for me. <laughs> <laughs> Knocked it out of the park. Well. We collectively home runs all around uh, listeners. Can you just uh, pause for a moment while we all pat ourselves on the back? Uh, good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Uh, well yes. 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 Yes, yes, yes. Moving on before we get too navel gazy. Um, <laughs> what failed role changed the course of a player character NPC or event most significantly? I don't know that I have a good answer for this because there are so many roles and so many decisions that didn't require roles we, that we failed so story, many roles but... quinn you can say it we failed failed, so failed, failed. A, a mammoth number of roles but <laughs> if anyone else has something that they feel felt was really pivotal here i'd love to hear it yeah i kind of have an answer that that's just that sticks in my head it's something that that i remember it's all the way back in the first arc and it's when we came out and you know talked about here's all our, our characters here's the cool stuff that we carry around and JR was established as this kind of like shady character, a criminal who's on the run and and has a really rad gun. And the first <laughs> fight we had pulled out pulled out the gun. That's the first. That's the go to. Also has a magic key and can do some do some magic, but goes go to with the gun Kyle. and immediately shoots two of her friends. And the gun kind of disappeared for the rest of the show. 
It was amazing. It was entirely <laughs> unintentional anti-gun. <laughs> so, so, gun, or I should say entirely unintentional gun safety uh, so, PSA. So I don't want to step on any toes or anything, but from a, from an outside observer's perspective, that seemed to be a, a significant character change in a switch to you the know, And this was after a showdown with the Strigoi, mm-hmm. where I shot and missed every single time I shot <laughs> at the Strigoi. And yet I still was like, oh, that was a bad day. You know, I was being confronted with a vampire. I will try this again. I believe you did hit Alvin in the Strigoi fight also. (laughs) That is accurate. (laughs) So So, um, I guess the question is, what failed roles changed the course uh, of during this year event? (laughs) Yeah. Anybody else have one that really sticks out to them? I mean, I don't know. This is one of those things that you have to tell us, Quinn. But the truly terrible job that... We all did trying to sneak into the lab at many points in time. Oh, God. Uh, or just get into the lab. Really, our inability to access the lab in any meaningful way for a majority of the show. If we had rolled truly excellently, would that have changed the course of anything <laughs> or not? I don't know. Maybe maybe the answer to that is no. But I think about that a little bit. Potentially. I mean, JR, the first incursion into the lab had sort of the best shot at getting in, but like it would have been very difficult to fully infiltrate. And, you know, I don't think you even knew about Augie at that point. You just sort of knew the lab was shady. Although Mm -hmm. you did remind me, uh, JR's actions and I I think failed role in in the lab is, is directly what brought packs into the picture like we during character creation we had established yes that jr had heat and the two the two heats i i don't remember exactly what the options were but like one was basically some like shady supernatural creature Mm -hmm. uh and that was the tall man you know the getty but the Mm -hmm. other was Mm -hmm. like law enforcement and hannah and i talked uh, and she was like, I, and I don't want to like not local law enforcement, but like, you know, the feds or Interpol or something. I'm like, OK, <laughs> so we're going to have someone high up in some like special division who is tracking your movements. Mm-hmm. And that's really what brought PAX in was that role. So there you go. There is there is a very consequential. There's a big one, one for sure. Oops. <laughs> Except um, also very good too. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we and we all failed roles. It wasn't just Jr. making story not. altering. Oh, we definitely failed oh, some yeah. big roles. Are there any that come to mind for you, Quinn? Because I think we know the opportunities we missed in hindsight based on the story that we know. But for every path we went down, I'm assuming there's like three or four that you built out and then were never spoken of again. Yeah, this kind of feeds into a couple questions, actually, uh, that we got from uh, Paul, Stephen, and Andrew. Paul asked, what was something crucial the hunters missed during the mm. investigation? Stephen asked, was there any bit of lore or situations you wish you could have used? Andrew said, pretend you have a wish spell, but the only thing you could wish for is to change one thing about season one, big or small. Mm. Um, also in parentheses is, what would you change and why is it making JR's cotton candy hands into a curse that made any suit she wears have irremovable stains on them? Uh, Andrew? <gasps> Because that's too hard of a move. That's too hard of a move. I would have incurred so much psychic damage. I would have quit the podcast, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I think so, yeah. (laughs) 
Um, I have a quick answer for the for the first one, just because it's something that I think was such a blatant miss that Quinn couldn't help but tell us after the mystery was over, which was during the Ur spider, we completely missed a lot of opportunities to look at the spider through a digital device and discover that you could see this big invisible spider if you looked at it through like a camera screen or a video or any of that, uh, which would yeah. have super helped. <laughs> we wouldn't have had to... I mean, it was pretty cool. We made the like flower bombs and then they didn't super work and we ran out and there was no light. And anyways, big miss with. Yeah. And so, you know, my answer to kind of all of these questions, because they're in the same in a similar vein. And I've, I've mentioned this, I think, in the discord, probably some other places that, you know, of all the, the mysteries, uh, arc three is kind of the one that I have the most mixed feelings about. And I, I think for me, it's really because I... I feel like I didn't structure the information well, and you all missed some investigative mystery roles. But mm-hmm. you know, as the keeper, it's also partly my job to create different opportunities to learn the information that you need, rather than sort of like gating it behind one or two roles. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I feel like I did that, and so that's what I would have changed because you know, besides the Ur spider's you know weakness, which you circumvented very creatively. <laughs> I was really proud of that. I was very proud yeah, of that. You should, it was good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the Earth Spider was basically skimming on a low layer of the plane of memory. Mm. And this is something I alluded to because I tried, I wanted to get it in somewhere. This is something I alluded to in the sort of monologue of Augie Vall's notes. But, you know, DARPA and like the early folks who were working on the internet in, in fiction, the internet is basically built on the plane of memory. And so the Earth Spider was sort of skimming this subspace between the plane of memory and the internet. And that's what all the like webs were and the the Mm -hmm. weird sort of interconnected blue bar space in the plane of memory that y'all dipped down to in for a while and didn't really know what to do in. And so you just pieced out. Except um, do a constant state, which is touch as many orbs as you can yeah, at the same time. Yeah, that And then kind of go like well, see so. the space <laughs> oscillation. <laughs> so all of that, like all of that's like lore and information that I built in and then kind of like gated off because of the way that I structured the mystery. And so that's that's something that I wish I could, if I went back, that's the one thing I would kind of change about this season was to try to feed some more of that out early rather than, than holding it back on one or two failed rolls. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Let's see. Next, we have a question. Uh, we have two questions that are uh, very similar from Anna and Beth. Mm-hmm. How different do y'all think the show would have been if Constance had gotten a job at Imagine Labs directly under the eye of Augie Ball? Uh, listeners, you may remember that back in episode one, Constance was supposed to interview for a job that her mom set up, and it was with none other than Augie Ball at Imagine Labs. <laughs> uh, she did not do that interview, but uh, yeah, what do y'all think would have happened? <laughs> <laughs> Tio, I'm, I'm looking at you. <laughs> uh, no, I felt it. Uh, we don't have video for this, but we never do, by the way, everybody. We don't video record these. And yet I knew you were looking at me <laughs> metaphorically and, and in real life, I think. Nope, that's not how that works. Anyway, my point being, uh, yeah, realistically, in a, in a real world scenario where like the plot doesn't matter, Constance would have been fired within a week. So it would have made absolutely no difference. But let's say that you wanted to keep her there and have her fail upward as the daughter of someone prominent in the lab. (laughs) I genuinely think Constance would have probably picked up that something weird was going on, Mm -hmm. but not be accurate in what it was and end up lifting too many logs, overturning too many rocks. There's a there's a phrase I'm looking for here. 
Somebody, somebody help me out with it. I think the rocks was the right one. I think yep. you got it. Okay. <laughs> Lifting too many rocks in the wrong places that would have cued Augie Vol and others to the fact that she was looking into something, but mm-hmm. it would be the wrong thing. So it would have blown our cover. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think it would have been very helpful sure. uh, in the long run. <laughs> yeah, I like to I like my headcanon is that Constance would pick up that something is weird because Constance was very, very good at that, but also have become friends earlier with Kristen. And oh, probably the two of them would lead some sort of like unionizing revolt at Imagine Labs <laughs> and just like really, yes. fu- really fuck up his whole deal. <laughs> For my part. You know, in some ways, it's almost impossible to say because it goes so far back. Yeah. You know, Tio, I think what you were saying is probably accurate. Like, your mom's goal was obviously to sort of, like, bring you in on the whole cabal, sort of slowly but surely. But I think, you know, additional opportunities to investigate. Uh, I will say, I put this in front of you with, like, a 99% certainty that you would not <laughs> take this job. Yeah. <laughs> so the counterfactual is, is maybe a little... Um, it's very hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, we're all friends here, and we kind of know why, <laughs> which way people may react. Yeah, yeah. For your sure. pushy, overbearing mom wants you to do an interview for a job you don't like. A pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. That one can be from real life, folks. <laughs> all right, let's move on to some questions about characters. Uh, so we got another one from Anna. How do the players feel about their individual character arcs? Is there anything specific you'd have liked to explore but didn't get the opportunity to? And for Quinn, is there anything you dropped hints at that you wish the players had looked into more? I kind of answered that one already. But y'all, how did you feel about your characters and your arcs? We had talked... God, I can't remember what arc it was, but maybe after the second arc, Quinn, I think, started coming to us and talking to us about like, hey, have you thought broadly about your character arc? And to that point, uh, the answer was no. Because I was just like, oh, just like, you know, doing my silly little podcast. This is real fun. Oh, you want me to like actually think about, okay. So I kind of had to sit down and think about, and I'd drawn some kind of broad strokes of like, JR is somebody who's been our own for a really long time. She doesn't count on people. She doesn't stick around. You know, she, uh. She literally got up and ran in the second episode because she didn't want to be there, (laughs) which is just like a microcosm of her life is like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to go running away from your problems is good, actually. And so to to create a like a, a situation and some reasons for her to stick around was interesting to explore while also knowing that like JR is never going to call Firmament home. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean Firmament has to be a place that she never goes because, you know, she's she's on the run and she's <laughs> burned all her bridges there, um, that this is a place that she would like to go back to from time to time. Was, you know, the power of friendship is not, uh, we're not recreating the wheel here. It's also a trope that I love. I love the power of friendship and found family. <laughs> so that was a fun, a fun narrative arc to work with. I want to state very clearly, uh, and I think I speak for everyone here, uh, we love tropes. Like, yes. there's nothing wrong with no, tropes. there's nothing tropes, wrong with tropes. They are classic stories and classic themes, and we are not afraid of our love of tropes. Absolutely. Um, I kind of like when I play characters in tabletop games and, and RPGs, kind of long form things like this, I like to intentionally kind of start with a more simple skeleton like 
pick some kind of some strong traits or some like grounding ideas. So like Alvin's very loyal to his friends and some, you know, a, a little piece of myself in in characters so that it's easier to connect to them. But then I really like to kind of grow with the character and like explore what sort of decisions and changes that they go through throughout the course of the campaign. So I was thrilled with where Alvin's arc took him from kind of the early ideas that we had talked about from him. Let's see, a specific explorer that didn't get the opportunity to. Not entirely. I think partially because I kind of kept his start simple. I didn't really hide many plot threads from his beginning. Just kind of wanted to be able to let him grow throughout the course of the campaign as a younger person. I think I think uh, we established Alvin was the youngest of the three. Yeah. And it's as much a <laughs> coming of age story for Alvin as a found family tale that I think I don't want to speak to everybody, but kind of felt like a shared theme across all three of these characters. Hey, up, hey, up, hey. <laughs> I'm going to redo that. I don't know what that energy was, but it wasn't good. Coming in sideways. Sideways and upside down. <laughs> yes. Jetpacking on in. Um, yeah. Okay. Woo, woo, woo. Coming in with my answer on the ambulance of answers. Oh, that's just so bad. But we're just, we're leaving it in. We're leaving it in. I don't know what's happening to me. Um, okay. I, <laughs> I'm losing it over here. We're on East Coast time. We're on East there Coast we time. We got back from vacation. Vacation brain. Uh, I feel really good about my character's arc. I think that she kept her her weird, her weird art girl tag, I think is appropriate from start mm-hmm, to finish. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think in a, in a very different way, she similarly to JR kind of didn't actually have real attachments. She was she knew everyone in town and had lived there her whole life and literally was like the history authority on the town right but i don't think that she emotionally had a lot of connections or sense of purpose in town Mm -hmm. right her thoughts were always more centered internally on her art so i found it really rewarding to see her kind of create connections and attachments with people and with monsters. And in a lot of ways, I think probably the most impressive character growth for her was the way that she started to advocate for some of her, quote, monstrous, end quote, friends uh, like Mr. Blue and Alvin, not because she was, uh, you know, close minded necessarily, but more because taking on that kind of a liaison position requires a lot of emotional work and a lot of like trying to see things from someone else's perspective and understand how to approach them about something. And that's the kind of like interpersonal work that I just don't think Constance did for most of her life because she was more or less kind of checked out emotionally from the people around her. So that to me was a big deal. I I was really Mm -hmm. proud of that. Um, Things I would have like to have explored but didn't get the opportunity to hmm i think it would have been cool to get a little more time with constance and her dad we got some of it at the end there Mm -hmm. but i just Mm -hmm. thought that was like the 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 few bits we got were so interesting Mm -hmm. and again quinn you really you really made her dad his own person (laughs) with his own like victor Oh, Victor. Victor. Mm. Who doesn't love Victor, right? Hey, lightning round. NPC. Victor is great. <laughs> oh my god. How do we forget Victor? But but really, so I, I would have loved to see more of their dynamic because I think 
when she was being her best self, I think she was channeling a bit more of the victor in her, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, that would be what I would have liked to explore more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Question here from the Monsters Playbook again. Was there a specific moment for the characters that they all became more than just monster hunters and became best friends? Friends. Friends. Best friends. Anytime that Constance, like, realized that Jer maybe needed some time to process some stuff Mm -hmm. and let her use the bathroom was a very, like... Man, it's not just like, oh, it's my shitty roommate situation. It was... Okay, I acknowledge that this person who uh, I re-listened to that episode just like moved in without even asking. Like (laughs) incredibly (laughs) rude behavior. Do not do this and expect such a good response. But I think there was also a moment where JR had this conversation and I I can't remember if it was with Leon, but expressed that like people weren't going to understand what Alvin was and they were going to be scared of him, that that was a moment where I was like, oh no, I need to protect this person. This person has meaning in my life. You know, and then when anytime when there were a couple opportunities when JR could have just like booked it out of town at the resolution Mm -hmm. of any of the monsters and the decision to stick around because like, oh, I care about these people was like, you know, maybe I wasn't saying it explicitly, but that was a big step for JR. It's yeah, JR disappeared, but only for a little bit and came back mm-hmm. with presence. Yep. <laughs> um, I think for Alvin, it really, because uh, Alvin started this whole arc pretty scared and isolated with the changes that he was going through and had, who's he's a trusting person in general, but was suddenly faced with a very scary secret that he thought he had to keep and had just one person who knew. And that he felt he could trust. And so I think it was just the first time that it manifested itself in front of the other two. And he showed up at Constance's in a pretty vulnerable state. And JR and Constance were just like, oh, yeah, it's cool. Borrow this smock and yeah, we'll go find your bike. And it's okay. I think for Constance, there was a moment where like there was debate or discussion about, you know, what our next move was going to be with some various big bad and I think I said as Constance, oh, and we, we got to stop by this place, X, Y, Z, to make sure that that thing that JR wants or that Alvin wants is is taken care of. It was there was an assumption that the requests that were made by JR and Alvin were obviously going to happen because mm-hmm. obviously Constance will do the work of being a good friend, um, which I think when that flipped from doing it out of nicety or doing it out of obligation to, well, yeah, of course I'm going to do this. Like that. Why wouldn't I, you know, these are, Mm -hmm. these, these are my people, right? That moment. I I can't remember when it was, but I remember saying that out loud as Constance and it felt correct. And I was like, Oh, this is Constance kind of evolving her relationships without realizing it. It seems like a small moment, but it's, you know, it's a shift in perspective of your relationships. You you see that later on with some of the bath bomb things where it goes from like, how dare you to like, well, I guess I'm going to go buy some more. You know, it's this we, we played it for laughs and quips a lot. But I think there is a funny kind of evolution you can you can watch in the way that the bath and the bath bombs are described, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really neat and very organic, like how that happens, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah, bath bombs really played a surprising, surprisingly emotional role in season one. Yeah. yeah. 
and so merchandisable, you guys. Oh, yeah, the Monster Hour Bath Bomb Collection. Get ready. Good work, everyone. <laughs> Got some uh, character-specific questions uh, here, oh, both boy. from Anna. Mm-hmm. Was Alvin slash Leon, in parentheses, Alvion? Uh, yes, Ooh. Alvion. Uh, a thing that Kyle Evie. and Quinn discussed as oh, a shit. potential endgame thing from the start or something that came about later. Um, Kyle, I would love... I'd love to hear your perspective as Alvin. Mm-hmm. I'll say I don't I don't remember exactly when we discussed it, but it definitely wasn't from the start. And I will say sort of as as Leon putting on my Leon hat. Mm-hmm. I don't think Leon realized he was in love with Alvin until very late in the show. Mm-hmm. Mostly because Leon is deeply oblivious about <laughs> a lot of things, including his own emotions. <laughs> so that's that was sort of the perspective I was coming at it uh, as as Leon. But Kyle, I'd love to hear your perspective as as Alvin. Yeah, I, first off, Alvion sounds like a great EV evolution. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> so I from the start, I knew that Alvin and Leon had a very kind of special connection. I One, they were already roommates in college, but beyond that, Leon was the one person Alvin confided in and trusted. From the beginning, there was kind of a deep connection, though I don't think he ever thought it could be or was a romantic thing until I believe Dorian entered the picture. <laughs> <laughs> and Alvin had felt this kind of pang of jealousy that took a another couple arcs to really sort of sort through and not only kind of sort through what what his own feelings were but sort through his opinion of himself you know to be able to really be comfortable in his own skins as it were and you know they say it's difficult to to truly love somebody else until you love yourself and it took alvin a a bit of time and a lot of support to get to that point uh while working through these deep emotional feelings towards his good friend leon that surprised him, I believe. Yeah. All right. Also from Anna for Tio. Do you like Hello. to use listener tears as fuel for yourself <laughs> to fill a saltwater fish tank? Or maybe you have a specific saltwater taffy recipe that you use. <laughs> uh, real question, though. Uh, would you ever play a magic-based character? I feel like having magic at your disposal would make your improvised weapons that much wilder. God, oh, the no. chaos. The fucking <laughs> oh, <no>. chaos. <laughs> It's not allowed. Tio is pure chaos, and she doesn't need magic to make it worse. That's, that's that is illegal. Yeah, I actually am not. I'm not licensed to carry magic in any state. Quinlet Constance used magic one time, and you took your mom to the hereafter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, first of all, very important first question. Yes, <laughs> I use all your tears. I collect them. I turn them into sparkling water because I'm oh so European. Wow. And then I drink that down as I record episodes. Let it be known. <laughs> but uh, I would actually love, uh, I would love to play a magic-based character, especially, I, I don't think I would want to do a magic-based character in a D&D setting because 
I have done that before, and I ab- I abuse my power in very stupid <laughs> ways. Uh, the the yes. folks on this call are yes. giggling because they've all experienced that in a D and D campaign, mm-hmm. where I essentially used what should be just like very straightforward, easy to do telekinesis to essentially emotionally damage uh, yep. people yeah. in fights. Yeah, the game calls it psychic damage, but it's really emotional damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's. And you only communicated in in emojis. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's also right. True. I also that would only communicate in emojis. Illusory emojis. So in in a in a D and D setting where you have very specific spells that you can then sit with and ponder ways to use them inappropriately, I don't think that I would be a good magic user because uh, <laughs> I would exploit it. In Monster of the Week, I actually think it would be really fun because it would add game mechanic powers to the ridiculous uh, ideas that I come up with. (laughs) And I'm calling them ridiculous uh, because I know that they are. So like maybe those chopsticks could have actually Mm. stopped me in the snow. I still think about that. If they were magic chopsticks. Exactly. Quinn, if they were magic chopsticks. If they were magic. (sighs) If they were magic chopsticks, perhaps. Yes. Next time. Stay tuned. So the answer is yes. I would love I would love to do that. It's about whether anyone else in our team would let me. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see. Stay tuned. <laughs> Season two. Uh, the tribunal convenes in April, I believe. <laughs> yes. All right. We got a question from Andrew. Uh, if you were just starting season one and had to choose an NPC as the character you'd be playing for the duration of the season, who would be your choice? And similarly, if you had a character that had died during the season, Mm. did you have a backup character in mind? I would probably have played Stan. I mean, I did play Stan in one of the specials. (laughs) He's a a hoot. He's a real hoot. As for a backup, I didn't have a a specific backup character in mind, but I had a lot of fun. And it, it would have been weird to see how it would fit in this game. But I had a lot of fun playing a very clueless divine Maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. if it maybe it was if it was a death late enough it could be a a kindred but playing a very kind of out of touch clueless divine playbook in one of our test one shots we did I went first again I'm so sorry Tio would you like to go Tio, next I think and you I'll have go? to go next Yeah I'll go I last. have to be the sandwich mix Yes up. I am the mayo yeah, Someone has to go first besides Kyle next time <laughs> That's fair <laughs> Kyle is both the first piece of bread and the cheddar cheese. I am the mayo, and Hannah is the <laughs> avocado and the second piece of bread. Mm-hmm. You, are more, you are more than the mayo. Such a weird ah, metaphor. The, <laughs> All right, the mayo, on, mayo is important. Do your thing. <laughs> yes. No, you can't have an avocado and cheese oh sandwich without the mayo. And you know who will back me up on this 100%? Your wife, Quinn. <gasps> Your wife yes, loves dun, dun, that dun. mayo ch- cheese combo, and I not that she I introduced really her to the avocado, but she does now also like the avocado in there. So yes, it's true. More mayo it's than true. bread. It's her favorite mm-hmm. sandwich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So um, what? Was- <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna forget the question. If you start, if you were just starting season, if you one have to play ahead. an NPC for okay. like. Through the entirety of it. season I, one. I have it. Oh, man. I'm so and if, sorry, and if, everyone. And say your character died during the season, <laughs> did you which you attempted to do multiple did, times. Did you maybe have a backup character that you would reappear as? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. All right. So, first of all, I would absolutely pick Mr. Blue. I think playing Mr. Blue would have, would be very fun. I almost feel like playing Mr. Blue would be like taking all of Constance's really uncomfortable energy 
and bottling up it up inside a, a non-human entity. Um, <laughs> that sounds so, right. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so that would have been my obvious choice. If I had died, um, you know, earlier in the season... <laughs> I, I think a backup character in mind, I would have actually been interested in pitching that I am someone else who was somehow involved in the original seal ceremony who like has come to stake their own claim in how this is going. Because I think it mm. the mm. background lore of Stoney's involvement with finding the seals, all of the kind of like the, the background of the seals in general through history was really interesting to me. I'm a I'm a big history person, so is Hannah. Uh, so it, I found that fascinating, and I would have loved to have played a character that had some more background knowledge of all of that and built even more of that lore out, or I should say brought more of that lore out because I have a feeling that Quinn has a lot more <laughs> that uh, hasn't been released because we just didn't go down the right dungeon crawly alleys or something. <laughs> but that's what I would have wanted to do is try to pitch being some sort of third party entity that had that knowledge interesting i don't have too terribly much more than y'all found out by the end you you found pretty much everything i had about the original ceiling i mean obviously there's a lot more there obviously we collectively don't know certainly everything that happened during the first ceiling of magic but that's unwritten Mm. Mm -hmm. that's for the novelization series yes (laughs) yes and the Stay HBO for some Max. Microfiction. I don't know why I said that. I have no plans to write microfiction. So and the new and the AAA Monster Hour open world exploration game coming to Xbox. Oh yeah, and yeah PlayStation definitely. Five, twenty twenty six. Hannah, uh, save us. <laughs> okay, yes, I will save you from from making promises that you cannot keep. <laughs> yeah, please, we well, can't stop. <laughs> so I would have probably been interested in playing either Stony or Jasper because I have played mm. Stony's the professional and I have play mm-hmm. tested the professional before. And then I think Jasper was the flake, which is a, a playbook that I've also played. And frankly, mm-hmm. I think I would have loved to have seen what Jasper was up to online. I have a feeling that um, <laughs> although he, he would pretend that he is not very online, that perhaps as the mystery unfolded, Jasper would get really into it. And I'm not talking about Twitter. I'm talking about like Reddit message boards oh, and, no. uh, you know, one one ticket to the deep web, please. Um, that <laughs> oh, I think, my. you know, and Jasper would also have a really interesting network of people to draw upon as somebody who owns a bar. And mm-hmm. so I think those characters would have been interesting to play. I also would have loved to have played, and it's it's a character, I mean, that almost all of the character books are ones that interest me in one way or the other, but like the mundane is just such a fun character. It's, it's like, so good. You have no, you are not <laughs> special. You are extremely <laughs> ordinary. You have it no is my powers. Favorite. You have no like the, the you have like mundane the mundane is very good, right? And they're all like it is the very power fun. of heart, which uh, is what yeah. are, like uh, you know nothing bad's gonna happen to me. You just go like wandering off. It's it's a great playbook, and I would love to play that in a situation where like everybody else around me is a monster or uh, on a mission from God or uh, <laughs> you know can do do all sorts of magic. And I'm like, well, guys, I can update the blog. you get xp when you're captured yeah it's incredible (laughs) it's so good uh okay one more here on this isn't about characters but i've sort of grouped it in here 
Does Quinn have a tell when something bad or a surprise yes. is about to happen? Yes. <laughs> what is my tell? Huh. I'm curious. I don't know if we can tell you that. Hmm. It's, it's, That's going to give you the whole keep g- plumbing <laughs> me for it. <laughs> Look, even if we okay, tell him, he's still going to do it. It's um. Okay, go ahead. It's probably true. I probably it's, can't help myself. It happened the first time I, su- I think I surprised you with me deciding that I was going to charge the Strigoi. You kind of make a, huh, noise. <laughs> And then it's like, ah, fuck, what did we just do? <laughs> oh, dear. All right, well, I guess I'm doing this anyway. Um, that I think that's, I would be interested to hear what other people think is Quinn's tell. There's a tell when we do something, particularly when Constance does anything. <laughs> where, where Quinn makes that sound, where Quinn goes, huh. And then there's a long pause that makes us think that maybe we disconnected. <laughs> yes. Nobody can hear us anymore. So we check in. We're like, "Hello." He goes, "No, I'm just, I'm just thinking." And you can just see through the you can hear through the, the computer wheels. that he's like flipping through his little black book of horrible hard choices to make <laughs> to punish us. I think that's accurate. The ha is a very. I would say it's almost a in a good way, Quinn. In a good way, it's like a testy ha. Huh? It's like yeah. a, a ha that's ready to go to battle against whatever it is we're about to try because it's never, hey, Quinn, you know, we were we were thinking about it and um, we read the rules and here is a totally within bounds appropriate response. What do you think? It's never that, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think the ha is, is, the, the, is, is the gateway. It's also it's very satisfying to get a good solid ha, yeah. you know? It's like, ah, yeah, not that we're like looking to stump you, but it shows that we've like done something creative. But you have. <laughs> yes. Yeah. On kind of the question about if when something bad or surprise is about to happen that maybe we haven't introduced upon ourselves by doing something reckless and silly. He'll have kind of a vocal timbre that he slips into. You can hear it a lot when cold opens or prologues are read. And sometimes it is because we are recording for for a show. Sometimes it is prefaced by a kind of, you know, we're we'll be fighting something or investigating and be like, okay, hmm, what are we going to do? And Quinn will just from quietly from the back, like, I got a bumper, which is, which is <laughs> yeah. a dead giveaway. Yeah. It says, I got a, I got a bumper. We go, oh no. Yeah, uh, but sometimes it is able to kind of flow naturally into it. And you can just kind of tell that this, like the register drops a little bit and it becomes much more kind of like he's reading poetry to us. Mm-hmm. And we just, I just know to be like, well, just shush. pay very close attention to what's happening right now let the man work (laughs) i also think i mean this one is obvious but every once in a while we go so off the rails that we get the um wait i'm I'm gonna do it now ready (laughs) i i am quinn now okay okay. um as a fan of your characters. <laughs> Big one. 100%. <laughs> if it's really bad, he'll start with now. Now, as a fan of your characters. <laughs> it's his version of, are you sure? Yeah, it is. It is. You're very polite. That's a bad idea. Don't do this. <laughs> Yes. I think the Christmas <laughs> yes, special is, the Christmas is special a very is good example. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of favorite monster. Oh, yeah. Tinsel. How can we forget about Tinsel? How can we forget oh, about Tinsel? Man. I've changed my answer. Oh, my uh, gosh. Tinsel was absolutely my favorite monster. Tinsel. Yeah. Tinsel Rise up, was comrades. Great. Rise up. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. oh, man.
we are going to jump in now with some questions about the production of the show. First off, uh, another question from Andrew. Kyle, how did you get into making music? And who slash what uh, are some of your influences for the music that you made for season one? Do you have a favorite piece that you made for the show? Uh, and Ooh. everyone, do you have a favorite piece that Kyle has done for the show? Um, let's, mm. Kyle, you go ahead and then everyone can think about their favorite works of art that you have made. Sure. Yeah. So I've was kind of brought up learning a bunch of instruments. We always had tons of various instruments at home from from my grandpa and my uncle and, and the rest of my family and really kind of started writing music pretty early on in middle school, high school. And what really made the switch there was became a theater kid and started doing uh, sound design for theater. It was kind of a niche. Nobody else was doing it in that area at the time. And so I just hopped in and started teaching myself all about audio there. And so through sound design and playing music by myself and with others, kind of just fell fell into it. And someone asked me the other a while ago how long I've been playing guitar. And my answer was over 20 years. And I, wow. and it's, I hate that. That's very scary. <laughs> That's a terrifying thing to be able to say, I've been doing this for over 20 years. It was a crystallizing moment for me. So I don't have any, any specific way of how I got into making music. You can do it. You just can do it. There's all sorts of videos that can that can help you. Just listen to stuff you like and try to make something that sounds like what you like. And that's a great start. Uh, speaking of that, influences for the music here with Monster Hour. One of the big ones for me, of course, is uh, Griffin McElroy and his music from the Balance arc and Amnesty arc of Taz. Mm -hmm. We're always, always huge being able to see what just some music underneath a narrative podcast can really do for it. It was really cool there. Another composer, Raman Jawadi, I think, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, he's the composer who did Game of Thrones and he also did Westworld. Just really rad dramatic scores. Uh, and particularly, uh, he's not the only one who does this, of course, but he does it very well, is using leitmotifs and melodic themes for characters and like dramatic theming. So I like to do that a lot in the in the songs I made for Monster Hour. So that themes like the plane of memory had a theme that would come back and characters like Dorian had a violin theme that would come back. I mean, the show itself has a very simple five note theme that can underscore a lot of this stuff. And so it really ties every song together into a kind of cohesive group. For those, it's been posted in the Discord before, but for anybody who's interested in the music from season one, I've put it all up on my SoundCloud. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash techyle, T-E-H-K-Y-L-E. Favorite song? I really like the one that I call the Book of True Names, which was the center of Otherwhere. I like it. It's got a rad guitar solo at the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We have to talk a little bit about Kyle's absolute wizardry. And if you're on the Discord, you've heard me and everyone else praising it. But Kyle has made this whole production sing, not just through the music, but also the the general scoring and, you know, the overall sound design. It's it's phenomenal. And just, you know, yeah. let's, I, I want to so peel the curtain bad. back uh, no, a little my, bit. Uh, but I got sunburned last week, my back. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> it can't, hurts. You can't. You're just all patting me on the back. <laughs> like, I got... I, Peel back the curtain here. I am 
bereft of any musical talent. Uh, so every arc, every arc, I would come to Kyle in the beginning. I'd say like, hey, so what if it was sort of like these five things and then like maybe a little bit of like razzle dazzle, but also like make it hum. And Kyle would follow up with some very smart musical questions that I couldn't answer. And then he would basically come back in, you know, a couple days with literally the perfect track every time. Mm-hmm. Also behind the curtain, all of these tracks, the source files for these are all labeled like monster number two, monster number four, because of course I'm not <laughs> I'm composing music for an arc that we haven't played yet. Yeah. So every time Kyle wrote a theme for a mystery or monster, he was basically doing it blind. And then like I used it in the editing, but he had no idea what the monster was. And he made these phenomenal tracks. So anyways, Kyle is the best. Um, my favorite, the theme fucking slaps. Like I still to this day will just like pull up the theme and listen to it if I need like a pick me up or something. Besides that, I think, I mean, Dorian's theme, it's a circus out there. Mm-hmm. One of the greats. And then I, you know, I have to say probably my favorite is the Imagine Labs theme, the the theme for the finale, that sort of surreal, Auggies, ethereal, yeah. ominous track for the reimagining of Augie Ball. Well, thank you. I can go. I'll be the mayo. <laughs> um, so when I praise my husband, uh, he kind of uh, rolls his eyes because, you know, we're married. So it's like, you know, it's contractually. Obligated. I am not, though. <laughs> I'm really not. But um, but anyway, I, I have always known how talented he is. And it is very exciting to see other people, especially people who don't who don't know him, be able to kind of experience that and see his very cool artistic direction for things it is tough for me to pick a favorite because i really do i do think they all just hit perfectly for what we're trying to do which is an incredible hit record um but <laughs> i also i also really really liked the ending with augie ball i think it was also a nice culmination from behind the scenes kind of witnessing Kyle put stuff together because uh, I'm not really allowed in the room when that's happening, but I'll like (laughs) kind of like peek in and check in. And then when he's like three fourths of the way done, I get to listen to it. And then as he's showing it to me, he'll like take notes of like, ah, I want to put a thing here. Ah, I want to do this here. And it already sounds amazing. And then he comes back and I'm with three or four tweaks to it. And suddenly it sounds, I can't imagine it being the way it was before. So yeah, the the vision there is amazing. The Augival theme, and for me, it's um, the way that he threaded our normal theme into offshoot yeah themes for different mm-hmm. things. I thought was so clever. I just the, there's a lot of talent involved in doing that uh, and doing it in a way that doesn't feel gimmicky, but like each of those songs still has their own identity and yet you immediately know it's Monster Hour and I think that that is a very intricate needle to thread. I will say that I also agree that the the opening just like it is so good. I remember when we got that and then we also Quinn had gotten the trailer and Kyle had synced it with the theme and it was just like, oh, this is some good shit. This is the good shit. I think for me probably my favorite. There was some of the steroid, but the consensus had its first real distinct theme that I remember that was kind of like a little bit of a you were using some like higher pitched tinkly bell sounds mm-hmm. when the spores like hit. And I, I really like that, that kind of otherworldly feel. So I think that would probably be my favorite other than the theme. 
Oh, I'm getting all sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> we can move on if, unless anyone else would like to praise Kyle. Kyle's a genius. Moving on. <laughs> uh, all right. We got a question from Matthew. Were there any deleted scenes slash re-records that had to happen beyond just technical difficulties? Um, we, I didn't want to say anything before this, and I'm almost worried now about saying it that like somehow the files are going to get corrupted. Uh, we <laughs> never had like serious technical problems. Like we never had to re-record like anything significant because of corrupted audio or anything like that. We had to do a few punch-ins here and there. Uh, I think Hannah might have had the worst of it. I did do um, about a half an episode because I was accidentally using my computer's microphone instead of the uh, the snowball microphone that I use. <laughs> and that was a colossal pain in the ass. My God, I learned my lesson. It was <laughs> awful. <laughs> Beyond that, uh, in terms of deleted scenes, there were only a couple and there were scenes where folks used safety tools uh, and wanted to, there was some content that folks weren't comfortable with, wanted to roll it back. Uh, and so we did that. And I don't, I don't think we need to say anything more about it. Mm -hmm. They're not integral to the story in any way. And obviously they were taken out for a reason. So uh, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, but there's no Snyder cut of Monster Hour that y'all right. are missing out on, I assure you. <laughs> Yeah, the the only thing I'll add in case it helps anybody wanting to run their own actual play or things like that, when you're recording remotely, most pickup recordings were things where like maybe we'd be running short on time, but there'd be a one-on-one -on -one scene that we want to pick up or something like that. And so mm -hmm. since we're you know recording remote, it makes it a little easier for like Quinn and myself or, or Quinn and one of us to schedule a separate thing to sit down and just kind of pick up a scene or yeah. things like that when we run out of time. And we definitely did some pickup recordings. Like, I think that's distinct from sort of deleted scenes. Like, yeah. the um, apocalypse world uh, where Alvin was sort of uh, fleeing from the winter court and, you mm -hmm. know, went through the sort of Mad Max. Uh, that was all, that was all a pickup. Yeah. I have done, just personally done a lot of pickups for like miscellaneous lines that I wanted in a scene and, you know, forgot to mention or things like that. Yeah. There were quite a few pickups in the epilogue because we recorded that like a week before my son was born. And so there was just a lot of stuff that I had to get in after the fact. And we were um, having so much fun. We would have run over we time were. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but those are things that obviously did make it in versus things that didn't. Totally. Although, Kyle, that is a good segue into a question from Loxley. Any advice from Players and Keeper for anyone wanting to make their own actual play Monster of the Week podcast? Someone other than Kyle has to go first. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that makes, and this is a question of taste. I know that some people prefer a podcast that is like longer, more conversational, but at least for us, I really like that we have a tight edit. We also, one of the things we worked on, and I'm a little bit out of practice, we'll have to get back into this when we start recording again, is trying to make sure that we don't step on each other's toes. Uh, first of all, because it <laughs> makes it more difficult for the editor. And second of all, it's just not, um, the recording just doesn't feel as, I don't know, we're producing something that we want folks to be interested and entertained. And if people are talking over each other, that isn't necessarily going to be a great, exciting thing for people to listen to. And um, it just narratively muddles things. So remembering that uh, giving people a beat, giving people space to have their funny lines and quips, like this isn't the <laughs> Hannah show. 
this is the <laughs> Hannah, Kyle, Tio, and Quinn show, has been something helpful to to remind myself that this is uh, to to make a better podcast. Just a few pieces of advice that I would throw out. I completely agree with Hannah. I think, and, and some of this is preference, but I think it is worth making sure you take the time to really edit your show. I think that has a lot of value for, you know, narrative cohesion. And we certainly don't keep all of the the goofs and jokes in, but we keep some. But even even those are are edited, so the conversation flows more naturally. So mm-hmm. I think that's really valuable. The other piece of advice I would give is when you're making an actual play, it's not just a game. It's also like a it's a shared story. So you shouldn't be afraid to, you know, re-record a line or a scene or take things from the top. Like we we certainly do that. Uh, I do it more than more than anyone. And the gang is very gracious with me as I do multiple attempts to try to nail the tone or the, you know, the cadence or things like that. And the other thing about that is, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think there's a problem with talking about things in advance and, and the story mm-hmm. arcs that you want to see. Like there can be this sense that, well, it should it should just be like a, a game, maybe one that we edit afterwards. But mm-hmm. I think there's value in having those conversations and planning a little bit, even for an improvisational tabletop game. Totally. Yeah, I'll I'll add to that. I totally agree with everything that was said. And my addition to that one would be, I do think, and I know that, that this is an easy thing for us to say, or for me to say, given that Kyle is a player of this game. But I do think that there is a a really significant value in having some sort of sound design on your podcast, even if that means you're pulling free music from YouTube's audio library, which I highly recommend if folks don't have their own wonderful Kyle at home um, (laughs) or are themselves a wonderful Kyle. Because something that I know Quinn takes a lot of pride in and that Quinn is very intentional about is some of those larger story beat moments like he, you know, he has thought through that and he chooses his words carefully for that. And it is so great to be able to kind of have that come as a complete package with some sort of sound design under it. I just think it like it adds something so incredible to the story that you're building that it would be so sad to lose some of that just because you don't have some sound design behind it. So that's my like kind of bougie thing is uh, get some sound design. Even if it's <laughs> a free library, it's still amazing. The other thing I would note, similar to kind of what Quinn and Hannah were saying around not talking over each other and, and thinking about the edited version of this is that I think there's a there there's a real power in recognizing that you're creating something for other people to listen to and not just playing a game, right? Because when you sit at home and play a game with friends, that experience in that moment is all about like the random spontaneity. And we definitely have a lot of that. But I think something that is really powerful about considering your audience and considering that this is a structured story that you're telling is that it lets you on occasion not take an action I think that you normally would take because you're thinking through what the ramifications for the larger story might be. And in the moment that might feel inauthentic or limiting, but I actually think it like forces you as a player to step outside your usual go-to moves or motives because you're thinking about, you know, what does this mean for the larger story? And I think it just, it, it makes you appreciate the journey more than just the destination, I think. I know I have enjoyed that because I tend to like 
making some wild moves. Uh, but <laughs> but I uh, but I do always consider like, well, I can't make my character do X Y Z with no with like reckless abandon because there are other people in this story and we have places we want to go. I'll use a real example because I feel like I'm being very abstract. Um, <laughs> for example, with the discussion about does Constance actually kill her mother? One of the things that made me realize the answer to that was no, was thinking about the larger story there. And that it is given all of the background we have both on the family and how they're connected to the seal and all of this, it was far more interesting for the story to have Constance find another way to stop her mother rather than simply just, I'm just going to go all, you know, vengeance and kill her. And I think that that led to a really interesting story arc for our finale. So I don't know that I would have taken the time to think through that and make that choice if I didn't consider the fact that we were actually, you know, creating a podcast that other people listen to. If it was just my personal player choice, I might have gone with that first instinct and then lost out on a really cool and interesting storyline. So, mm-hmm. you know, lean into the powerful side of like recording something for consumption rather than just a standard game. Yeah. And it really pays dividend. I mean, that solution that that you found with Constance and that it all worked and was it's one of the cooler parts of the whole show, I, I think. For me, from a sound design point of view, uh, I'll go through real quick. Something that helps actual plays sound good is if everybody records their own track locally and you sync it up later in the edit as opposed to trying to record all in one room with a single microphone or through an online recorder, which they are sounding better and better, but you still lose some fidelity when you are recording through the internet. You get extra headroom that pays dividends down the line during the edit. Uh, So a microphone per person, if you're recording in the same space, you still want to have a microphone per person so that you get everybody's voice sounding nice and it doesn't sound all echoey in the room. You can get microphones that aren't too expensive. This like forty to fifty dollars is a blue snowball is always one that I like to recommend. I believe Hannah's been using it this whole first season. And yep. it sounds great. I've been very happy with it. Easy to set up, easy to use, and looks cute. It's a great looking microphone. It does look <laughs> cute. Looks matter. Yeah. You put a little googly eyes on it. I could. <laughs> So that's my number one suggestion. Uh, Increase the audio quality of your podcast greatly by microphone per person. Record locally. As the season one editor, I 100% am behind this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes a huge difference. It's a lot easier to edit around individual tracks than having one big one and having to cut out someone coughing or something. All right. uh, I put this in the production section. I guess it's not really a question about production, but we're going with it anyway. Uh, From Matthew, what were some other considerations for the town you all played in or even the game system? Uh, I will say we didn't consider any other game system. I approached everyone uh, and said I wanted to do uh, Monster of the Week actual play, and they graciously agreed to do it with me. We talked about a few things, a few locations for the town before we settled on Mm -hmm. Firmament. And we talked about a couple of their names for Firmament, although I don't remember any of them now. They might be in a dock somewhere. They might be. Maybe. But, I mean, we've talked before. Uh, we're we're all located in the Pacific Northwest. So we talked about doing something in, you know, Washington or Oregon. We also talked and actually planned a little bit about doing something in New Mexico. Obviously a very sort of uh, supernatural location. And, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for everyone 
uh, and I won't, I'll let everyone speak for themselves, but <laughs> you know, what really sold me on Colorado and firmament was uh, Tio actually made the very good point that mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of folklore and mythology in Pacific Northwest and in New Mexico uh, is really deeply tied to the indigenous communities there. And none of us are indigenous. And I mean, it would, it would be inappropriate for us to try to take that and build a story out of it. And that's not to say, obviously, there are indigenous communities in, in Colorado, but the sort of common folklore and supernatural elements of Colorado are not so deeply and in, intrinsically tied to that. And so it presented a little bit more of a, a blank canvas than if we try to do something in, in Washington or Oregon or New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean- I mean, yeah. I can add a little bit of why Colorado is kind of a draw for me is it's such a kind of stark contrast in like geographic and natural. I mean, you have mountains in the in the northwest and in New Mexico, of course, but Colorado is this kind of like feels like where two tectonic plates meet, even though, of course, it is um, it is not that. But where like the mountains and the prairies combine. And so it it also as a setting to decide before I think we pick the setting before we built our characters mm-hmm. yeah it it allowed for kind of a broad range of of like backgrounds that that we could choose from that was an exciting t- sort of thing it allowed me to make a farm farm boy mm-hmm. <laughs> i should add i also do have a lot of family on my mom's side in colorado so mm-hmm. i felt like i could act, and I, I spent pretty much every summer there growing up so i felt like i could portray it well compared to other locations i mean obviously we could have done mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest well, but I did have some some connection to that that I was able to tap into. Yeah, and whatever those uh, whatever those other names were, Firmament was better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, certainly feels that way now. <laughs> it's hard to imagine the town being named anything else now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Totally. All right, we got a couple questions. We're in the home stretch here. We got a couple questions about the future. The future. I did a very sweeping hand gesture. I want you all to know. So did I. (laughs) Yep. Okay. (laughs) First up, a question from Anna. Any chance we'll either get a campaign or one shot GM'd by someone other than Quinn? Uh, Yes. Yes. Uh, And actually, this Mm. question was sent before we did our our off hours, but obviously we had some different, uh, it's not, they're GM-less games, but MCs. We had some different MCs for those. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's definitely a chance that uh, you will get more stuff that is GM'd by someone other than me, because we mm-hmm. we like to s- change things up. We'll see. Mm. Stay tuned. Mm. Mm, tasty. Mm. Cheese and peas. Cheese and peas. Cheese, cheese and peas. Cheese and peas. <laughs> <laughs> Question from Anna. Would you ever consider doing a campaign set one generation after the events of the first campaign? Ooh. Do you have any interest in exploring mm. the new magic-soluble world created in this finale? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are we just doing a yes? <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to expand on it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's rad. Uh, I can go first on this one. Um, yes, as everyone has already said, <laughs> yes. Uh, I think it would be it would be really interesting to have it be. I would love for the concerns and problems facing that generation to be removed slightly from Mm -hmm. the story that we had so all right yeah been there done that cool you managed to like connect these worlds big whoop what we're worried about today is xyz 
mainly because I think that that is part of how culture and community evolves too. Uh, you know, hopefully, if progress is is happening, you know, you're constantly finding a new. Uh, a new normal and then realizing that there there's something that's wrong in that normal and maybe you need to address it mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that would be my one caveat for that is that i wouldn't want it to be any kind of rehashing of the conflicts we understood between magic users and non-magic users i would want it to be something in, an entirely different conflict that i can't even really predict right now because i am not in that generation uh, I would need to sit and think about like, okay, thinking ahead, what what could be going on? Um, so that that very much intrigues me. Yeah. Anyone else want to expand? <laughs> <laughs> no, I summed it up perfectly for me. Anna? Uh, I just think it would be fun. I'd like to revisit that setting. We've got that setting fleshed out. And that could also be, you know, some of my favorite fantasy books, uh, which I'm also going to say I went and did a, I didn't plug this much, guys, because I was really depressed. But uh, I went on an episode of uh, Between Lewis and Lovecraft and discussed some of our favorite books. And one of my favorite uh, fantasy series, each set is basically said probably about a generation after the other. And so like, you get the greatest hits of you read the book and you're like, oh, yes, there are my favorite characters from the last uh, last series. But then you get a whole new set of players. So there's that continuity there. Because I would like to see what's up with, uh, you know, what's up with our old characters without feeling like we're just doing an entire episode that's nothing but fan service. Mm-hmm. We love you folks, but we would like our episodes to have more than just <laughs> more than just fan service for you. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is a rad idea, and it's probably the only way I would want to return to the the firmament universe. Mm-hmm. I, I have a really sort of deep set belief that it's really important for stories to end at the right time. And that's why we brought this season to a close when we did, because the story and the arcs were all coming to to a climax and it was just it was time for us to close the the page on this. But obviously we care deeply about this world that we created. And I think it would be cool to jump in, you know, a generation after mm-hmm. with new characters and new eyes and new themes and play around a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to be clear. We're not doing that for season two. <laughs> we have not decided on season two. Uh, we didn't get that question, but I know everyone's thinking it. We're working on some stuff. We'll have an announcement soon, but we, we won't do that for season two. But at some point in the future, yeah, maybe. Beth had a similar question or a question in a similar vein. Will we be able to see more of ghost constants in the future? (laughs) Maybe, Beth. Maybe. Maybe. I do love the idea of ghost constants finding some way to be artistic. I don't know what that means. Ghost constants is going to be some new character's past life. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and then like (laughs) creates like very off-putting sculpture art when they're in a trance or something. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Anytime they consult a past life, it's just like abstract Keanu Reeves. (laughs) Yeah, and then you have to discern it. This is like a, it's not a, she's not going to make it easy for you. You just have to kind of like Mm -hmm. try to figure out the, painting you drew on your wall when you summoned her Mm -hmm. yeah there's another tome of mysteries alternate weird move called like 
illuminated or something where you get messages from like a secret society and i love the idea that the secret society is actually just constance (laughs) (laughs) but she has built a logo and brand for herself yeah 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 oh yeah it's a whole operation to pretend like it's a big secret society it's actually just ghost constance the about page has no very clear description (laughs) yeah it's called cheeseandpeas.com for some reason (laughs) well you know what Hey, look at us. We did it. We got through Yay! all of the questions. Woo! Confetti. Bow, 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 bow. Play it off. All right, that will do it for us, y'all. Uh, thank you for joining us for this After Hours, our season one Q&A. We will be back in the near future. I'm not going to put a date on it yet, but in the near future with season two of Monster Hour. Until next time, stay spooky. Spooky. Yay!